Morning. morning. We are glad that you are here to worship with us <clears throat> on this Sunday morning. Uh, excuse me, as I'm still a little bit froggy, but uh, we'll, we'll push through it. This morning we're going to start our worship service by singing the song, Great Things. And I wanted to talk briefly before we do. Um, in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel often used stones as a way to remember great things that God has done. In um, one particular time in the book of Joshua, after they crossed over the Jordan to enter the promised land, Joshua had one man from each tribe <clears throat> take a big stone from the bottom of the Jordan, and they took them out and they piled them up. And he said, when your children ask what those stones are, you tell them what God did this day. And they would remember through those stones. And there's other examples of that. And in, in our house, we have a jar that has some stones where we have written some of the things that God has done uh, for us, that we can look at them and, and remember them. And, and I will confess right now that that jar of stones is probably a little bit dusty, probably overdue for taking out and, and remembering and reflecting. Um, so maybe here, you're here this morning and maybe your jar of stones is kind of dusty like mine. Um, or maybe you're not sure what you would write on a stone. If I were to give you a stone and a marker, maybe you don't know what you would write on it. Uh, maybe you don't know if God has provided for you. Uh, but there is a stone like no other uh, that outside of Jerusalem temporarily was in front of a, a grave. Um, and it was there temporarily uh, covering the grave of our Savior Jesus. But at a word, he spoke and that stone rolled away. And that memorial stone is for you and for me this morning. Um, so if there's nothing else, remember that stone because it makes those stones in my office look like pebbles. It makes those stones from the Jordan look like skipping stones. And that is the great thing. The hero of heaven has conquered the grave. He frees every captive and he breaks every chain. Would you stand with us as we sing to God and thank him for the great things that he has done?
Good morning, church family. What a joy it is to be with you here this morning, this special day, to be in the presence of the living King and to worship Him for those that are here live and for those that are streaming. Praise be the Lord today. and Just thank you for this beautiful music from the worship team. It helps me as I focus and through Jesus Christ as the nudging of the Holy Spirit to be in alignment with our Heavenly Father to minimize those so many distractions that I bring here. Thank you so much for that. My name is Tim Weaver, and what a joy it is to be here again. I'm the GO director, and, and the vision, I guess you've heard it so many times, and it's certainly worth repeating. Beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus. That simple vision statement is done through three different ways. Gather, grow, and go. We gather in life-changing worship like we are today together. We go in life-changing, we grow in life-changing truth, and we go in life-changing mission. My friends, I have the first announcement is from Kids Life. Out here in the commons, you may see this strange door that you can open up and walk through. We see on this card that you can get, uh, scripture reads from Matthew 18:5. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Kids Life this summer needs a, a host of volunteers. We need 26 adults, 10 from high school, and 16 middle school. How amazing would it be, as you heard the announcement last week, that you bring your heartfelt abilities, you bring your passion, you bring your experiences, and your spiritual gifts collectively, individually, to serve those children, possibly as husband and wife, I pray that the, the Spirit is nudging you to act, to say yes. So there's more information there in, in the commons and on the very back of the card. It shows you where there are some openings where to serve. Well, if I need to remind you today that it's a special day, men, it's Mother's Day, we are in a lot of trouble. <laughs> it is a special day. My mom died when she was in her 40s. And praise the Lord that my mother-in-law, who lived to be 100 years of age, became my mother. And so many of you, your mom is living. Your mom is in the presence of the king. Today is a special day. So I, I have a poem I would like to read. But before I read this poem, in honor of Mother's Day, would you enter into a posture of reverence and allow the Spirit of God to minister to you. And as the Spirit of God is nudging you and prompting you, will you intentionally act today and respond and reach out to your wife who is a mom, to your sister who is a mom, to your mom, to your mother-in-law, to your grandma, and tell her how much you love her and tell her how much Jesus loves her. For you, Mom, on Mother's Day, I want to tell you, Mom, that you're special in the eyes of the Lord, and you are valued in His eyes, for no one loves you more. And Mom, I want you to know how blessed you really are, for I know that over the years it was never easy, and sometimes it was quite hard. But even through the years gone by, I believe that Jesus was there, 
reaching out with his loving arms, though we were at times unaware. And mom, Jesus is still beside you, longing to be a part of all things that interest you. For you're special in his heart. For even in the daily struggles, there seems to be a part of life for even in the daily struggles that he is the void that we have been missing. So mom, on this Mother's Day, I just want you to know that you are wonderful and that Jesus loves you so. My friends, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, we we thank you for creating each mom with a unique combination of gifts and talents. We thank you for the sacrifice that each mom gives for her children. We thank you for the gift of time moms give for their kids, whether it's stay-at-home moms, working moms, and moms who have some combination of the two. We thank you, Jesus, for the flexibility of moms, for their tirelessness, for their perseverance, and their devotion. We pray, dear Jesus, that you give each mom strength. Jesus, please help each mom to see in every mundane task the internal impact that you place on motherhood. Jesus, help her to forgive those who undermine her significance. Most of all, Lord, on this, on this day, on this special day, as we worship the living King, may we love and cherish the special woman who have borne us who have nurtured us, and who have prayed for our well-being. May our hearts overflow with gratitude to you who formed and knitted us in a mother's womb. Amen. Church family, I'd like for you to pay attention to the screen as you see a special video from Kids Life. Thank you. I'm glad we're taking this time to meet to plan Thanksgiving dinner because Let's get going. We've got a lot to do, guys. Let's hit the ground running. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Let's take a minute to get organized and think this through. Yes, we need this meal to be just perfect. The aroma should beckon one into this feast, this culinary celebration. Come on, let's go. Chop, chop. We need to get chopping and dicing and mixing and whipping and- Don't forget the plating. We have to make sure we make everything look beautiful on the plate. We must add a flash of color with a garnish of... Fragrant garnish. Freshly picked organic herbs smell best. Yes, some artistically arranged Italian parsley and sage. And fresh rosemary, of course. Rosemary smells amazing. This meal should be a work of art. We can gently nestle the carrots in a delicate butter lettuce leaf. Come on, you're kidding, right? Don't roll your eye at me. I is only trying to ensure that we create a feast for the senses, not just some pedestrian, plain, ordinary Thanksgiving dinner. Stop poking your nose into every detail or we'll never get out of this meeting. Now, wait, I think Nose and I were just trying to... Trying to drag this out is what they're doing. Let me go to the store so we can get this show on the road. Time's wasting. And time is exactly what we'll waste if we don't plan and work together. 
Let's make room for everyone's thoughts. Ear, we haven't heard from you yet. Well, I'm just listening. Listening? We need to get moving. I can't believe it, but I'm with feet on this one. Let's get cooking. Ear, go ahead and finish your thought. Well, I understand that hand wants to get cracking. Walnuts and whipping sweet potatoes. And feet, I know you're anxious to jump in and get started. Exactly. Let's get started. But I hear what Nose is saying about getting the flavors and aromas balanced. And I hear what eye is focused on getting the food to look beautiful. Seriously, Head, take control of this thing. Give me the list and let me get to the store. But Feet, don't you see we need to coordinate? Coordinate, coordinate. Come on, let's be real. Those of us who do the important work know what needs to be done. Let us do it. You tell him, Feet. Let's be honest, Feet gets us there, but I make all the cooking actually happen. I'm the only one of us actually getting my hands dirty. Let me get cooking. Of all the nerve, the rest of us count too, you know. Some of us more than others. I mean, let's face it. I am the one with the know-how to set this meal apart. It is my keen sense of smell that will make this feast an aromatic symphony. An aromatic symphony? Are you kidding me? All you do is point that nose in the air and act like you're better than the rest of us. Okay, let's calm down. I think some of us had said some things we shouldn't have. Hey, head. Or should I say, swelled head? Who voted for you to be in charge? Look, I'm not trying to be bossy. I'm just uniquely suited to organize and pull us all together as a team. Oh, really? I am uniquely suited to see the overall picture. I should oversee this project. What does it matter, I, if things look good, if they don't smell good or taste good? All right. Come on, team. Let's focus on the project at hand. Thanksgiving dinner for the entire family. Listen to head, everyone. We have to make this meal as a team. We are trying to bring together the entire family. Thanksgiving is a time to listen and hear what everyone is doing and how they're feeling. Great, Ear. You can be in charge of listening to all the relatives gab on and on and on once this meal is done. But right now, I've got to get moving or we won't have any ingredients to make this dinner. Stop. We are a team. No one is more important than anyone else. We each have a role to play. All roles are important and all roles are needed, which actually reminds me of something I learned at church. All believers are part of the body of Christ. We each have a role in serving others through the church, and all roles are important and all roles are needed. The person who cleans the church is just as important as the person who teaches. In Kids Life, Mrs. Avalon and Pastor Evan plan lessons, the teachers teach the lessons, and the helpers help the teachers and clean. We are all parts of the body of Christ. All important, all needed. Well, we've got this team. Let's do it. We've got this. As we continue in our time of worship this morning, we're going to sing All Creatures of Our God and King. <clears throat> and I wanted to speak uh, briefly about this song before we get into it. The, uh, the song as we, as we know it uh, was written about 100 years ago by a man in England. Um, but the tune is a bit older than that. It, it's a German tune that dates another 300 or so years before that. And, and the words were inspired by a poem written by St. Frank, Francis of Assisi about uh, 900 years ago um, in Italian. Uh, and in fact, his words were inspired by words 
that were written maybe 2,000 years before him uh, from Psalm 148. Um, and why do I say this? I say this because uh, the praise of the Lord um, is ongoing at all times, in all places, in all languages, um, or one day in all languages, right? Um, so as we sing this song, we join in a chorus that has been ongoing since the world was created, singing with all creatures of our God and King. And that includes us. We are created beings by God to praise him and to honor him and to bring him glory. And I wonder if you would stand with us if you're able, and we will read together these words from Psalm 148 before we sing. Let's lift this up together. Praise, praise the, the Lord from, from the earth, earth you great sea creatures in all ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Lift up your voice and 
continue in worship as we sing our alleluias to Jesus, our living hope.
praise you our living hope, our memorial stone. Amen. You may be seated. So what does a spiritual person look like? Uh, how do you identify? What are some signs of someone who is spiritual? So to find that answer, I googled that question. and Of course, that's a great way to find out information. All kinds of weird stuff came out on that one. Uh, and for one, there's a top seven signs that you're a spiritual person. Here's number four. Spiritual people appreciate every living creature on the planet, honoring even the tiniest bug as they would a person. Well, that's a little bit of a warped understanding of what it means to be spiritual. By that definition, my treatment of mosquitoes and fire ants makes me a little homicidal, doesn't it? Uh, we're going to see a biblical list of uh, what it means to be spiritual in our study of 1 Corinthians this morning. Uh, the church at Corinth was started about 50 A.D. by the Apostle Paul. He stayed there a year and a half teaching them, went off to uh, start other churches, and the church descended in, uh, off the rails a bit. So uh, uh, they got confused about their sexual behavior, about gender identity, about the gospel, about communion, about how to treat each other, and a bunch of other issues. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct their misunderstandings, and to answer some direct questions that they were asking him, because the Corinthians wrote a letter to Paul, and uh, this letter responds to the things that they had asked him in that letter. And so now, as we start 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul addresses one of the questions that they had asked him, and uh, verse 1 begins this way, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So the first two words of this uh, in the Greek is peri-day, uh, now concerning. It, it signals a new subject, uh, a, a, something that Paul's going to deal with. Uh, and that section uh, covers chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. So he's going to answer this question over the next three chapters. Apparently, the Corinthians wanted to know about spiritual things. Now, I've put the word gifts in italics to show you that it's not in the original language. It's not in the Greek. Uh, it is uh, a word that's supplied by the translators in virtually every translation. Uh, pneumaticon is the word for spiritual here, and it, and it can refer to persons or things because it can be masculine or neuter. And most translations use the word gifts uh, since that's what Paul goes on to talk about. But you could easily read this, now concerning spiritual people or now about spiritual things. And Paul's answering a question here about which spiritual gifts are the best spiritual gifts. Uh, and what it means to, the, the church was, which, which spiritual gifts are the ones that the most spiritual people have? That's the question he's asking. The church was answering, the, the, the church was divided about all of this. And over these next few chapters, Paul tells them what it means to be spiritual and how Christians exercise their gifts in the church. And he's talking to the whole church. Don't let the word brothers fool you. I've said this uh, numerous times here. Adelphoi, the Greek word, uh, it refers, can refer to males, or it can refer collectively to both genders, be, uh, depending on context. And the context here tells us clearly this is directed at all the people of God and could be translated sisters and brothers. Now, one problem in the church at Corinth was that they were overly impressed with some of the more spectacular spiritual gifts. And some who used those gifts were overly impressed with themselves. 
and it was a big issue, and that's why Paul answers it at length here over three chapters. And although he talks about spiritual gifts in general, it's very easy to see that his biggest focus is going to be on two gifts. Let me point them out to you. So we'll look at the first, uh, two focus. One is on tongues, uh, and the, the, the Greek letters did not translate here for some reason, but uh, uh, that, that word is mentioned 21 times in this passage of Scripture, the chapters 12 to 13. And, uh, uh, and then prophecy. That's mentioned 20 times in this section of Scripture. And what I want to point out to you is that tongues, uh, 21 times in this section, nowhere else in the letters of Paul. Paul doesn't mention tongues in any other letter, only here in this section. So this is clearly a Corinthian issue that he's dealing with. Prophecy he deals with in other letters as well. But we're going to look at that over these next few weeks. Apparently, the Corinthians placed tongues above prophecy as a clear sign of supernatural power working in a spiritual person. They felt, hey, yeah, somebody's spiritual, then they, they, they speak in tongues. That's the issue that Paul is dealing with. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see this answer unfold. But this morning, I want us to just work through the first 11 verses as Paul addresses these misunderstandings of what a spiritual person looks like. Well, what are the signs of a spiritual person? Don't get them on the internet. Here, let's look in Scripture. What are some signs of a spiritual person. There are four of them uh, that I want to point out to you in this passage. First of all, all spiritual people recognize Jesus as Lord. So you pick up verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does Paul mean by them being led to idols before they were Christians. By the way, it doesn't say led by idols. He, uh, he says to. This is that they were led to. What he, he's referencing here, the parades and the processions that were part of Greek culture. So in the Greco-Roman world, under the Roman Empire, Greek culture, uh, there were these community festivals, and they had them at every season of the year, at all kinds of occasions of the year, for the gods and goddesses like Dionysus and Demeter and Isis and many others. And so, for example, on March 5th, uh, Corinth would celebrate the start of seafaring season. And to do this, they would put a boat on a cart, and they would lead that cart through the center of the city, and following it would be choirs uh, singing and there would be people wearing uh, masks and bright clothes and pr priests carrying cultic symbols and they would then uh, get that boat all the way to the edge of the sea they would launch the boat in the sea and then they would march that parade back to the temple of Poseidon and there they would have ceremonies and dancing and feasting in honor of the god Poseidon and so every season of the year had all kinds of different parades for these various gods and goddesses and if you were part of that culture you'd probably join in that parade unless you had some belief system that said don't do that. And you would end up at the temple celebrating, feasting in honor of one of these gods and goddesses. And, and so Paul reminds them that before salvation, they were led right to idol worship in those parades. And it all seemed very spiritual uh, and inspiring. But what you're celebrating is images made out of stone or wood. And these idols, he says, are mute. They couldn't move they couldn't give direction. They couldn't answer life's biggest questions. And even though you were engaged in some spiritual, religious activity, you were rejecting Jesus simply by being in that procession. You're rejecting Jesus. Uh, by embracing these other gods, you were cursing Christ. 
the truly spiritual person declares that Jesus is Lord, which means you give up all other gods, all other focuses, and Jesus alone is the Lord. Jesus' lordship is the benchmark of spiritual experience. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's only, as Paul says here, through the work of the Holy Spirit that you can begin to recognize Jesus as Lord. The Spirit illuminates your understanding. The Spirit reveals what is true. The Spirit empowers you to confess Jesus as the only Savior. And so you turn from your self-salvation project to Jesus. You turn from all other ways of salvation to Christ alone. And declaring Him Lord means that you recognize that He is the truth that he is the only way to the Father. And Jesus said in, in Luke uh, 6, 46, he said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? So in other words, it's not just saying words, it's actually living your life as if he is Lord. If it's, he, He's sovereign, in charge, he's the, the only God, king over your life. So anything that falls short of acknowledging Jesus is fully God is in effect saying that Jesus is accursed and it promotes a false gospel. And Paul reminds them that just as they were led astray by the spectacle and celebration of pagan festivals, they can be led astray by compelling, inspiring, captivating teachers. And he says it doesn't matter how charismatic or magnetic or charming a teacher is, if he or she does not confess Jesus as Lord, meaning that Jesus is God, that he is the eternal Son, then that speaker is a false teacher. Not all people who say Jesus is Lord are truly spiritual, but all truly spiritual people confess Jesus is Lord. That's why the church exists. That's why we gather together to proclaim that. That's why we go on mission to declare it as well. That's the first sign. Second sign, all spiritual people are gifted, but differently. Was verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And then verse 11, who gives to each one individually. So I, I, years ago I had on my uh, staff a, uh, a fellow who was a rabid Philadelphia Phillies fan. And so every single game he was uh, ecstatic that we won or depressed that we lost. Uh, so he really claimed this team. And so 2008, when they went to the World Series, and then they won the World Series, you could not live with this guy. That was all he could talk about. He was so excited. We won, we won, we won. The day or two after the uh, celebration parade they had in Philadelphia, uh, a vendor came in to talk to him about a business deal. And, uh, and I'm nearby. And he, all he can talk to her about is the Phillies and how they won. She had no interest in baseball. I could tell she was not interested. She wanted to make a sale. She wasn't interested in baseball. She listened to him talk about how we won, we won, we won. And finally she said, are you related to somebody on the team? Because why are we we winning? He said uh, he was embarrassed by that. Uh, now, granted, every I, I was I was I, I did Google this as well. Who gets a World Series ring when you win? Legitimately, who gets a World Series ring when you win the World Series? Uh, well, it depends on the team, but virtually everybody connected to the team does. I, I, I look through the list, and it's like, okay, obviously it's not just the stars; it's every player on the team, even if they didn't play an inning. Uh, all the coaches, all the scouts, all the bullpen catchers, the medical staff, the ball girls and boys, 
all the announcers, color commentators, radio, television, all the interns, all the groundskeepers, everyone and anyone employed by the organization, no matter what contribution they made. But no fans do. No fans. Uh, now, the people in Corinth, they had kind of the opposite problem than my friend did. They felt that the only people who really counted in the church were the elite few with one of those spectacular gifts. They're, they're the ones that really got the World Series ring. Only them. Uh, other gifts were being ignored or seen as trivial. And so the rest of the people in the church who didn't have that spectacular gift, they were being overlooked. They were unappreciated. They were seen as insignificant. And so Paul emphasizes that spiritual gifts are given to every person who claims Jesus as Lord. Verse 7. The Spirit gives to each one. Verse 11. To each one individually. So if you are in Christ... You have a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's what this word is, refers to, gifts. The Spirit is revealed through you, illuminated through you in some action, some word, some outward ministry. Now you can deny that. You can say, well, I'm just a groundskeeper in the house of the Lord. I'm not the starting pitcher. But if you are in Christ, no, the Spirit has gifted you. And, and it's not one particular gift. That was the problem in Corinth. They thought it's just these one specific gifts that means you're spiritual no 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 the emphasis here is on the great diversity of gifts we are not all going to look the same in our spiritual giftedness in any way paul here gives three broad categories of gifts in a trinitarian formula uh there, so just you look at this text and you go through it there are varieties uh, of charismata gifts but the same spirit there are varieties of diaconia that's service, but the same Lord. That refers to Jesus. There are varieties of energmata, that's activities, but the same God, that's the Father. So we have the Father, Son, and Spirit giving gifts to God's people. And these categories, each one of them is plural. It's plural. And so variety is key. And like the Corinthians, we need to broaden our perspective here. It's not just the most noticeable, visible, uh, valued gifts that matter. Even those humble acts of, of behind-the-scenes service are manifestations of the Holy Spirit of God. The spiritual groundskeeper is just as spiritual as the spiritual home run hitter. Uh, you cannot identify a spiritual person by a particular gift because we're all differently gifted. And when you mix all the varieties of gifts with all the varieties of personality and situations, not a one of us is the same. I don't think I realized until recent years that even if those of you who have the exact same gift as, as another person, you are not going to manifest that gift the same way. Why? Your personality is different. The situation God has put you in is different. The timing is different. And so I believe every single person is unique as their fingerprint in this situation. Is how the Spirit gifts us. We're not the same. That's Paul's emphasis here. And what ties us together is not giftedness. What ties us together, together is the gift giver the same spirit lives in all of god's people even though we are so different there's so much variety third sign of uh this all spiritual people promote the common good verse seven to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit to another works of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. 
So given here is a passive verb, meaning gifts are not earned, gifts are not deserved, uh, they aren't produced by people, they are not to put people on display, they're produced by the Spirit to put God on display. Now, the problem at Corinth was that they focused only on these few spectacular gifts, and they neglected the whole point of why they were given. They're given for the common good. Simpharon, Simpharon, Simpharon. I want you to remember how that word sounds. Simpharon, for the common good, for the benefit of the church. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you've been given something that's for the well-being of all of us. Every single one of you has been. No gift is individual, it is communal. No gift is for private enjoyment, but for public ministry. And so when you don't exercise your gift of service or encouragement or wisdom, you're depriving the church. So by the Spirit, you have at least one gift and likely a mix of several gifts given to you for our good. Now Paul lists some of those here. Uh, this is a representative list. We have other lists, of course, in 1 Peter 4 and in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. Uh, but, and you'll have to take my word for this, the grammatical structure, I'm not a grammatical expert, but I've read some scholars, grammatical scholars, uh, Greek uh, grammar experts, who say that the, the structure here uh, emphasizes the speaking gifts, wisdom, knowledge, tongues. Wisdom, knowledge, tongues. And these were the very gifts that the Corinthians were fixated on. And interestingly, these three gifts, wisdom, knowledge, tongues, are not mentioned in any other New Testament list. So this is very distinct to Corinth. So I want to do a quick survey of each of these gifts here. I uh, won't do any of them justice, but let's, uh, let's take a look. Uh, wisdom, it's the word or utterance of wisdom. I would say this is the application of God-centered truth. Uh, while human wisdom was a top priority in Greek culture, God's wisdom, 1 Corinthians says repeatedly, is Christ crucified. That's the wisdom of God, Christ crucified. And so instead of humanly constructed and invented clever speech, the gift of wisdom applies the gospel-centered truth of the Lord Jesus. Uh, the gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge, it's the communication of God-given insights. Instead of humanly generated, humanly created data, the gift of knowledge speaks God-given insights. Uh, third, faith. Uh, obviously, this isn't the gift of saving faith. All who have put their trust in Christ have that gift of God. Uh, all who believe have the, the saving faith. This is extraordinary faith. This is faith that does not wither in adversity. This is a settled confidence in God, no matter what is going on in your world or in your life. That's the gift of faith. Uh, and then the gift of healings. In fact, it says gifts, plural, of healings, plural. Both these words are plural. So these are multiple gifts of various remedies. Uh, you say, well, what does that mean? That means, well, there's one, more than one type of healing being spoken of here, and the remedy may be medicinal, it may be miraculous, it may be natural. The cure may be physical, it may be emotional, it may be relational, it be, may be mental, but it's, there's multiple gifts of various remedies that are gifted here. And then miracles, miracles. Literally, the words are working of powers, working of powers. These powerful works could be natural, they could be supernatural, but God is acting to produce mighty things in his church, however it comes about. Mighty things in his church. Miracles. And then, 
next is prophecy. Uh, prophecy. Now, one way this word is commonly understood even in our day is foretelling. That means to predict something in advance that has yet to occur. Certainly that's what Old Testament prophets did. Uh, God gave them advanced knowledge. And, and this kind of prophecy is much talked about and much misused in the church today. Uh, in fact, anyone who can spell prophet can call themselves a prophet, and even some who can't spell call themselves prophets. Uh, and this is all a number of people who predicted things about the 2020 election have created great confusion in the church, calling themselves prophets, still to this day claiming their prophecy uh, is true. Last week, some charismatic leaders created standards for prophets. And although I disagree with several of their beliefs, I applaud their efforts. And you can see them on propheticstandards.com. One word, propheticstandards.com. There they've published their rules or lists for those who claim to have the gift of prophecy. And there's some, a lot of reasonable things in there and some things I don't agree with as well. But they, uh, one, one of the things that I think is important, they say, we reject the notion that a contemporary prophetic word is on the same level as the inspiration and authority of Scripture. And I think that's absolutely true. There's no prophetic word that comes today that's on the same level as the written word of God. That's an important distinction. But, uh, so, so that word prophecy can refer to that kind of foretelling, but it also can, can be understood as forthtelling, that is speaking forth the word of God. Because later on, Paul describes prophecy as speech that edifies, speech that exhorts, speech that encourages the church. So in this sense, preaching is prophecy. In this sense, teaching the word of God is prophecy uh, so that's one then uh, distinguishing between the spirits uh, this is the ability to tell the difference between what's generated by human spirits and what is prompted by the spirit of god what comes from evil and what comes from good and then tongues uh, tongues is um, is this ecstatic speech or foreign language? Uh, some see the word glossi referring to ecstatic speech. That is euphoric babbling that's not connected to an earthly language. And we'll talk more about that in this series. Um, whether it's me or another of the pastors, we'll get to that in this passage. But um, that, that kind of euphoric babbling did happen among the pagan worshipers in Corinth. And it likely crept into the church. But here it mentions, if you look in your text, different kinds of tongues which makes sense if it refers to a variety of languages if it's euphoric babbling there aren't different kinds of euphoric babbling there's only one kind of euphoric babbling um, and so uh, i believe this refers to foreign languages that's the gift given in acts chapter 2 so that all who were present could hear the gospel in their native tongue that's the most natural meaning of the word cognitive discernible decipherable words but if we take into account what Paul says later in chapter 14, it might include an angelic language that consists of mysteries in the Spirit and is addressed to God and is unintelligible to humans. But regardless of which it is, the next verse, the next ver uh, gift is absolutely necessary. That is the interpretation of tongues. This need, there needs to be translation for the words that are spoken so that they benefit the common good. That's Paul's point here. It, it, so if it's a foreign language, the foreigners can understand it, but the rest of the church would need to understand, and, and they would need interpretation. If it was angelic speech, no one would understand it, and so interpretation would be needed. So either way, it's important. So the four signs, we've gone through three of them, of a spiritual person. One is you recognize Jesus as Lord. 
Uh, spiritual people are gifted, but differently, and they promote the common good. Number four, all spiritual people are subject to the Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. So much like today, it was Mother's Day, and uh, Anne's two kids came into her bedroom early that morning and said, Mom, Mom, don't get up. Stay right there. Just stay in bed. And so Anne settled back, and she thought, well, they're probably going to make me breakfast. And a little bit later, she heard some pans rattling, and, and she smelled some bacon cooking, and heard the toaster popping, and all this activity, and then there was silence. And she waited and waited, and nothing happened. So she went downstairs, and she found the kids eating breakfast of bacon, eggs, and toast. And they said, hey, since it was Mother's Day, we made breakfast for ourselves so you wouldn't have to. So Anne had to make her own breakfast, not the gift she wanted. Now let me tell you that there is no question that the Spirit gifts all who are in Christ. But you might not get the spiritual gift you desire. You might not get the gift that you wish you had. You don't determine that. That's the importance of this verse. The Spirit is sovereign in distributing gifts. He gives as He wills, to whom He wills, when He wills. And so this is important because that means you don't have anything to boast about. If you, don't, if you have a spectacular, highly visible, greatly effective gift, you didn't make that happen. The Spirit of God did. It's not you. The Spirit deliberately chose that. You didn't. It's God's will, not yours. And that also means it's not helpful to be jealous of other gifts. Because what you have received is what's necessary for the situation God has put you in. Unless you don't use it. He supplies what's best for the local church by distributing the gifts that are needed in that time and place. And I do firmly believe your gift mix can change according to the will of God. For example, the gift of administration is my highest gift. It did not appear at all in my gift mix the first 25 or 30 years of my life. But I believe it was given to me at the time in the place when I needed it for the work of the church. It changes. And no person has all the gifts. That's why we need the body of Christ so desperately. The Spirit spreads them around, ensuring diversity, ensuring that the church has what it needs to thrive as each member does her part. So let me just put it in these words. By the Spirit, you play a part in God's symphonic praise. Several years ago, 400 musicians gathered in Philadelphia to perform David Lang's symphony. He wrote, Symphony for a Broken Orchestra. I was fascinated by this. The orchestra included amateurs and professionals and everything in between. There were kids in there as well as super senior citizens. Uh, all of them, professionals, amateurs alike, were using broken instruments. The symphony was 40 minutes in length, and it, it started very quietly, but billed and roared to life as it progressed. Cracked cellos, vandalized violins, flutes that gasp and leak, trombones with no slide, trumpets with broken valves. That's one of the trumpets used. As a trumpet player, I, that's horrifying. 
I don't know how they would make sounds there. And the reality is that in many cases, they didn't make anything approaching what the sound of the instrument was. They only could squeak or tap. But together, the orchestra produced a rich harmony of joy. In the church, each broken instrument adds its own voice to the symphony. And the gift given you might not seem like much, but it is for the symphiron of the church. The togetherness of the church. An orchestral song of joyful praise to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'd like you to join me in a declaring that Jesus is Lord. If you'd stand with me and let's sing this simple chorus together. And if this is true in your heart, this is the declaration that uh, says that He is above all. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now let's use it. You are Lord, you are Lord, you are risen from the dead. You are Lord, you are Lord. You are risen from the dead and you are Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For centuries, the church has been unified among common creeds, statements of faith. Um, and we're going to sing part of one of them this morning, the word creed, uh, meaning I believe, or in this case, we believe. Uh, would you join us as we sing together? We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and we're unified on all these things. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only one foundation we believe, we believe. Resurrection 
benediction. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of His Spirit, wants to do something in you and through you. Believe this and go in His grace, His love, His power, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken